Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. How am I coming in? Coming in good? Coming in good. Here we go. Welcome back to the Westworld Theorycast. My name is Axel. Today is a special episode because Folo is solo, baby. That's right. I am doing it all on my own. DJ Tim Hines has come down with some leaky cortical fluid, and he is not going to be able to make the episode tonight. So, do bear with me as I take you through this very awesome episode, in my opinion. By myself, just to remind you, the Westworld Theory Cast is a part of the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out at DVRPodcast.com. We covered all of Westworld Season 1 there. You can check it out. Our logo's by Tom. Check him out at TomPatrick.co.uk. And our theme music is by the Wright Brothers. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you to Bob Shimoto, Bigfoot, AJ Theo, Madam Marvelous, Chris Was Taken, as well, for the new Apple Podcast reviews. If you didn't get a chance to do that, give us a review. The stars are nice. We appreciate anything, but the written review is what really pumps us up, and we did uh, make our first couple appearances in the top uh, 200 of the Apple Podcast last week, so we appreciate that. I also want to thank Rachel and Brett, our newest patrons. They got a surprise little uh, DJ Tim Hines initial reaction that he did just for the patrons that came out on Sunday night. Go to patreon.com slash DVR. Join us. Become a part of our crew. And of course, you can email us at westworlddvr@gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at westworlddvr. And we also have a Facebook page. So now let's get down to it. That was it. That was the big intro. And now we're going to talk about this episode, which was season two, episode five, Akana no Mai, Westworld, baby. This episode was directed by a gentleman named Craig Zobel. He is a very good director, actually. He directed, um, I think, in the film world, most famously, a film called Compliance, which was about that uh, very disturbing case of a prankster who was calling up like McDonald's and Burger King's and instructing the managers to basically sexually assault women that work there. And it was basically that the whole film is kind of about, you know, I guess it's that old, what what is that Stanley Milgram test? We do what we're told, you know, the old Peter Gabriel song, um, where if you're told to hit the button, will you shock someone? When, when do people, where, where does, uh, when does your own self take over, you know? 
It was a very interesting film. Uh, but he also directed three episodes of The Leftovers, which, as you know, we did do a great uh, Leftovers DVR. You can check that out on our website, dvrpodcast.com. And uh, Mr. Zobel directed one of the greatest episodes of television ever, honestly, in my opinion, and in many other people's opinion, which is an episode called International Assassin. Uh, And I'm not going to get into the leftovers, but that was a great episode. Um, And this was also written by Dan Dietz. And this is his fourth episode of Westworld that he has written. So he is a part of the writing crew. Uh, What's my overall basic? We're going to go through our whole thing. I'm going to try to do it even without DJ, which is kind of reaction to the episode. Talk about some facts. Not going to really have much of a discussion because I'm just going to be discussing with myself. Uh, We'll get some theories and then we have some feedback as well. Um, Well, first off, I do have to say one thing, which is that the... I I hate watching the previously ons. I hate it. Um, my wife likes to watch them. And so I've gotten into the habit of a couple times uh, this season, she has not been around when it's on and I want to watch it. So I watch it. We catch up and I do a rewatch with her later. Um, but I've gotten into the habit of watching the previously on and I really wish I didn't watch it because... It totally gave away that they were going to redo the safe heist, only do it samurai style. And I, I read actually there was a um, you know there's a site called uh, Westworld Watchers, and they're on the Twitter and they often tweet and I see their tweets and uh, I like them and and they do. They do a kind of roundup. It's really interesting, and they uh, they call it like the postmortem, and um, they do a roundup of articles and 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 reviews of that week's show. That's at westworldwatchers.com. Um, and uh, they said that actually that was Zobel's idea. That was not in the script. In the script, they were supposed to be doing uh, like a heist or something, you know, like a different heist. And he said we should, uh, or maybe it was the same heist, but it was his idea to shoot it exactly and direct it exactly like the one in Westworld. And I think that makes total sense. Um, But kind of watch, you know, that's why I don't watch those damn previews because I'm watching it and I'm like, why are they showing this to us? Oh, they're going to redo it in Samurai in Shogun World. And that's what they did. Um, but generally speaking, I love Samurai movies. So I loved this episode. Um, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I have a little bit. I wrote a little bit of um, a kind of uh, overview of Samurai movies that I'm going to get into now. But um, love them. Um, it was maybe the least... Um, I don't know why I don't, I don't want to say exciting cause it was very exciting, but there wasn't as much in this episode as in other episodes. Um, and I mean, I think that it, I've, I've listened to a couple podcasts, read a little bit, like I said, I read that Westworld watchers thing. And some people are saying it's kind of more of like a, 
uh, like an introductory episode to Shogun World. And it was, you know, just basically different ways of saying it was a little bit slower. But God, you know, if that's a slow episode, I'll take it. I mean, I, I thought it was awesome. I thought uh, if you if this is the way you're going to introduce us to Shogun World, man, you did it right. Because just from top to bottom, the direction of this episode was fantastic. Just the way that everything in Shogun World had the contrast kind of turned up. It was almost darkly saturated. Um. You know, just like I said, the cinematography, the slow motion, I loved everything about it. Um, It was just awesome. So I loved it. Um, You know, like I said on the IR, it was a little bit like we were picking up on episode seven of season one of Shogun World, right? Like our characters walked into last year's (laughs) kind of story that they had been through already And the meta part, of course, is that. But then in the show itself, we find out that um, uh, Sizemore had cribbed himself, had copied himself, had cut and pasted these stories. So it's like a double redoing of it because it was not only in the show we're watching, but in their own storyline. So, you know. That was cool. The Shogun World stuff. The Dolores stuff. You know what? Man, it's interesting and it's part of the story. I got to tell you, I'm not that interested at this point, I must admit. Um, little Dolores and Teddy are kind of getting me down. I like what happened uh, eventually and I like we found out about the train, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm, 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 ready, for, I'm ready for this story to kind of kick it into higher gear. So I did want to get into a little bit about samurai movies because I'm a huge fan of samurai movies. I do want to give a shout out to my old friend Beerble. I know he's not listening, but if he ever hears this, shout out to you, Beerble, um, who introduced me to a lot of more obscure samurai movies. But growing up, I was, of course, a huge kung fu fan and every once in a while they would show samurai movies um mostly when i was growing up in new you know new jersey new york there was channel 9 channel 11 wwr wpix and on saturdays and sundays sometimes late at night during the week or on friday they would show um fighting movies kung fu movies or sometimes samurai movies later when i went uh, went to Rutgers and was uh, learning about film, going to film studies classes. We watched uh, Rashomon, um, Yojimbo, Sanjuro, um, Akira Kurosawa. And uh, then I started watching more and more. Then I, when I worked at World of Video, I had, you know, all of them at my command and watched probably all of them. So I love samurai movies. Um, the cool thing about this episode is you have, um, and per, uh, forgive my pronunciation, of course, I'm going to do my best. Um, Hiroyoko Sanada is playing a real person, um, which is uh, Miyamoto, Musashi Miyamoto, who is a actual famous 
samurai who was a ronin. A ronin is a samurai without a master or who doesn't have, who's not part of um, a shogunate or he's, he's not part of anyone, not a little person or the government or whatever. He is um, off on his own. Um, the samurai movies now, really the interesting part is um, a lot of Westerns are rightly pointed out that they are inspired by samurai films, right? Like Seven Samurai and things like that. There's a, there, I mean, the list goes on and on. All the Clint Eastwood movies, um, the spaghetti Westerns, a lot of them are it's funny because right then there's they're like Italian films made American westerns made in Italy, and um, a lot of them were inspired by the samurai films. But the original samurai films were actually inspired by American westerns. That's what Kurosawa, a lot of the other guys were inspired by, uh, and they were mainly between like 1950s, late 19, early late 1950s to late 1970s were is kind of the heyday of the samurai films. Now Kurosawa is the most famous because he's kind of the most famous Japanese director and he's one of the greatest directors. I mean this guy was a genius. You know it's funny when um it's a little pop culture reference people are talking about oh Kanye or whoever today they say is like oh they're a genius. I'm like I always think about Akira Kurosawa. This motherfucker would have an idea so um he would frequently write a novel of the movie, then write a screenplay from the novel, then make the movie. That's not, <laughs> that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, like write a novel of the movie first. So that's pretty awesome. He was a genius and he, uh, he, a lot of the style he created, um, he's, I don't, I don't, wouldn't say he's the originator of the blood spurt, but, um, I had this on, um, uh, I put a clip on it on our Facebook and on our, um, Twitter, which is the end of, uh, Sanjuro where it's like the final samurai battle and Toshiro Mufune just chops the guy's head off and there's all this, or he's, I'm sorry, he just stabs him and all this blood just splurt, like just goes everywhere. And that was later copied by, you know, see Tarantino overdid it and other people uh, through the years have overdone it. But um, Kurosawa, if you haven't seen any of his films, you should see them. Sejuro, Throne of Blood, Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Hidden Fortress, of course, is um, often uh, spoken as like as an inspiration for Star Wars. It's my understanding that really what it is is the two characters, the kind of goofy, the the, the comedic characters in Hidden Fortress were the inspiration for R2-D2 and C-3PO. And there are elements of the, definitely though, there's elements uh, of the film and its structure in that film. Um, but I, I, I just want to rattle off um, some of these other great directors. Musaki uh, Kobayashi, he directed Har Harakari and Samurai Rebellion. Love Samurai Rebellion. Uh, Kahachi Okabato. He directed Samurai Assassin, uh, Kill, and Sword of Doom. Kenji Masumi, 
uh, he did the famous, I don't believe he did all of them because there's so many of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, as well as uh, Zatachi, Zatochi, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. That's another great series. Um, and uh, Hiroshi Inagaki directed uh, one of my favorite trilogies, which is the Samurai Trilogy, which is the story of uh, Musashi Miyamoto. Um, and that stars the man himself, Toshiro Mufune. And that is Samurai 1, Musashi Miyamoto, Samurai 2, Duel at Ijoji Temple, and Samurai 3, Duel at Gunyari Island. And those are just out of this world. I mean, all of these movies are actually, I think, on Criterion Collection. But if uh, if you caught any of the names of those, and I'll, maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Um, just check them out, just because Zobel did just a fantastic job of framing uh, the slow motion is is a little bit more of a newer uh, uh, kind of um, characteristic of fighting films and such. Um, but just, you know, even the, the typical, every samurai film has that where you have the high shot and they're walking into the little village, you know, and he did a great job of when the um, Shogun comes up and all the men come. That was really fantastic. So that's my little, uh, my little talk about samurai films. Love it. All right. Now, getting back to Westworld, people, um, we have the facts. So this is mostly a Maeve and Dolores-centered episode with just a touch of Bernard there in the beginning. Um, so we open back with the extraction team. So this is what we believe to be the most present of all the timelines we've seen. Though, as I said in the initial reaction, I will say that I don't think it is because I think that actually the most far in the future that we've seen is the scene we saw last week when Bernard realizes that he is not in the same room, um, with, uh, Elsie. And that has to happen at some point later where he knows that he is going through some sort of loop or going back through his memories, which we'll get to later. Um, so the extraction team has retrieved about half the bodies, Carl and a, uh, a woman who is at the lake communicate. They have retrieved half the bodies from the Dead Sea and are processing them back at the Mesa. She also said that they have two teams out looking for Abernathy. So once again, we're reminded that they do not have Abernathy again. They have lost him again because what we know, the last we know of Abernathy is that he was successfully taken by Charlotte and the, what I call the inside uh, Delos team or the park team. Um, so they must have lost him again. Right. Or maybe not. Um, there's a super interesting conversation between Carl and the tech guy who we first saw on the beach. He takes the control unit out of the native American who Dolores kills and says, you will not go to the promised land. Anyway, the tech guy says a third of the hosts they have pulled out are totally blank. They're virgin. The control units never had any data on them. 
Now, I do want to say I saw on Twitter a couple people saying things like, if a third of the host's brain is missing, where is it? And I said, no, 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 no. That's not what the guy said. What the guy said is this. If there were 400 hosts in that Dead Sea, they have pulled out 200 of them. One third of that 200, which would be what, approximately 65 or so, are for are, have control units that have never had any data written onto them. So in effect, they could be dun, 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 just copies of other hosts, blank copies that were never uploaded with any info, right? They made them in a lab so they could stick them in an ocean, sit, stick them in a sea. Hmm. Very interesting. This is the point at which I'd ask DJ what he thinks about that, but I can't. So I'm just going to keep on talking. Um, then something interesting happens. The tech guy sh- says to Carl, but that's not the worst of it. He shows him a kind of blurry techno picture on the, on the tripod of something that looks kind of like, I mean, it looks like a room with, I mean, right away, it looked to me like they were like big computers, right? Or servers or something. It looked like machines there. And they look all burnt, like three sides of it or so look burnt out. And what the guy says is, and I rewatched, I usually rewatch with the uh, subtitles on, subtitles or it's called, it is on my TV called direct TV subtitles, not closed caption. Um, says that all, okay. So, and he says that all the host IP, their stories have been burned out at the cradle. Um, okay. This is what he says. We've put the fires out, but there's nothing we can recover from the cradle. The host backups have all been destroyed. Carl then says, so we lost a third of our IP in a single sweep. That's quite a story. And then he kind of looks out and he's looking at Bernard He's looking through the window at Bernard and he says, and we kind of, we, we then get this like, um, in time montage, right. But back, but from kind of to him to Bernard to some hosts back to him, back to Bernard. And, and you hear Carl say, that's quite a story you gave them. And one hell of an ending. How did all these disparate threads come together to create this nightmare? If we figure this out, we'll now, we'll now, we'll, he says, if we figure this out, well, then we'll know how the story turns. What the fuck does that mean? These scenes are so weird. That's why I love them. This is where it's all at, right? People were all waiting for these Bernard's. <laughs> we're all sitting, I'm sitting there at home. I'm waiting. I'm like, when am I going to see Bernard and the extraction team? Cause I love it. It's weird. Who is he talking to? Okay. So look now our man hacks dogma. Who I'd like to get back on the show at some point, but I know we're all so busy during the season. Um, he did a great video where he talked about what he thinks the cradle is. Go and watch that hacks dogma. Look him up on YouTube. H a X dogma. All one word. Um, 
It's called the cradle. And uh, he says that he, I guess maybe he did a word search of the script somehow, which I'd like to see that. I'd like to know how you did that. Cause that, there, those things may be available or maybe pick that up somewhere. But as I said on the initial reaction, I'm pretty sure that somebody said the cradle before, and I think it was Teresa or Sizemore. And I think it was last season. I think it may have been the conversation they had smoking cigarettes at the Mesa. But it may have been another time. It may have been when Ford and Teresa were together. But I had heard of the cradle before. Because when he said it, I automatically thought he meant a server farm, right? That's what, I mean, I've heard that used before too, like the cradle, right? That's where, that's where the, all the, the info is the most precious thing, right? Um, but that's what it does seem to be the main server room. So they have this conversation says, we put the fires out. There's nothing we can recover. The host backups have all been destroyed. Very interesting. The host backups have all been destroyed. So that means that if a host goes, gets shot in the head, the control unit gets destroyed, all that data is gone. Except we know there's one place that it is, right? Inside Abernathy. Uh, now, we'll talk a little bit more about that, too. But then I want to get to this part. I just stopped myself again because I'm like, it's so weird. This part is so weird. That's quite a story you gave them, a one hell of an ending. How did all these disparate threads come together to create this nightmare? If we figure this out well, now how the story turns. Oh, if we figure this out, we'll know how the story turns. That's my fault, not well or will. Um. That's weird. And he's looking at Bernard while he says it. Now, in his video, Hacks Dogma says the same thing that we've been saying, which is that it seems like Bernard is kind he's he's at odds with someone in his mind and he's being forced to go through these memories. Now, Hacks does a good job of then showing the whole beach thing and the part how um we see the woman in the pale dress. She's alive, then she's dead. You know, we see all that kind of stuff uh, going on. And like, it's like a glitch, right? And I looked for some of that in other scenes and I haven't seen that same thing. Um, but he, he's trying to say that maybe he, that Bernard, as we had said to that Bernard is, is being uh, like interrogated, right? Or he's being, or I think maybe being tricked, to go through this again and again to release something to them, right? They keep on saying they've lost Abernathy. They keep, it's like in every one of these scenes that's in there, we lost Abernathy, we lost Abernathy. Um, maybe it's that one-time use uh, extraction key that came up on the screen a couple episodes ago that Bernard saw and that he then did something before they came and took Abernathy away. I said on Twitter to Hacks Dogma, we'll know we're right if we don't, if Dolores fails in getting Abernathy back, then we'll know that that's something off in this story, that they didn't lose him again, right? That they have him, 
But what they don't have is the key to what's inside him. That's what they need. So this whole thing where he, where Carl's lost in thought talking to Bernard over there was just very weird to me because he says, that's quite a story you gave them and one hell of an ending. Very weird. Now, the other weird part is that as Carl says this, and then we're looking at Bernard, we start hearing those dreamlike whispery voices, that kind of ghost in the machine that Maeve later hears when she uses her new powers, right? Now, this is kind of like, I like this sound because it's a sound of kind of um, us, right? Those sci-fi creatures that are many consciousness, but one entity or communicate there. We, we are legion, right? That kind of thing going on there. Um, and Maeve tapping into that, becoming her, turning on her little uh, hotspot, creating her own intranet to be able to take over everyone and control them. So you hear this dreamlike whispery voice as we cut out of that very strange scene uh, with the extraction team at the Mesa and Carl saying this really weird dialogue. And I just think there's a connection there because remember when I look back at season one, almost every time there was a time transition, there was a fade out or a fade in. Actually, I think it was every time. So they like to give clues like that. Just like how let's not forget that the initial opening of this season was in a different aspect ratio. And I had said that I thought that that opening scene was perhaps happening much later because it seemed like Dolores was in control of the conversation, not Bernard. So is it Dolores that's putting him through this? And does that mean that we shouldn't trust any of that information, such as that they lost the host backups in the cradle? Why do they want, would they want Bernard to know that? Because we can assume that if this is a created world, anything that happens off camera with Bernard is in effect some way touching his consciousness, right? Very interesting. I don't know, but I like that those wispy voices. Let's 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 keep keep an ear out for those. Okay, another fact. As I said before, we now know that Sizemore wrote for multiple parks and as he say, cribbed stories uh, from one park to the other. So can we also assume that that's the same of all the people we met at the Mesa? Was Teresa also running Shogun World and the Raj? Was, did Elsie work there too? How about Stubbs? Just want to, I'd love, I just would love what I would like or love. Maybe I'd love it is to get a scene where we flash back and the Teresa's there and they're all standing there looking at that big thing and it's Shogun world. 
And then someone says, oh, we've got something at Westworld. And then it just switches over to Westworld. And then we all go, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, it's probably not going to happen though. Uh, we also, we learn a lot from Sizemore. Um, we learn that they all have comm skills buried in their code to speak different languages. And it seems that the people in Shogun World, because the this violent delights virus has spread, it was my understanding that what Sizemore was saying is that he could tell by when he spoke English and they didn't respond because they should know English, that it had spread, that they're not following commands because it's like they're stuck in their one mode. They They are somehow freed from now understanding English in a way. So it's interesting in a way. So they gave up something to become free as which, as which is part of what Maeve says to Akana when she doesn't force her to turn right to become aware, she's going to let her do it herself. So that's an interesting, uh, what we see with Teddy and Dolores, that's a theme through this uh, episode, what we sacrifice to be free. Hmm. Um, and Sizemore also says right out, all the parts are, parks are infected. Um, yeah, he says Maeve's voodoo, word voodoo didn't work because she spoke the wrong language. They're not accessing the commands. All right. Uh, Dolores. We learn now that Dolores, the reason that she and Teddy were going to Sweetwater was for the train. And let's also remember last episode, as we had some feedback about this, I, I'm not sure, I don't remember who it was that made reference to it. Uh, but remember, they were making the railroad tracks and they were using people as the wood beam part. Um, so there is a link there. And I think it was Roberto maybe on his podcast said that he thought maybe that train was going to lead to different parks. Um, I like that. But what Dolores says when Teddy says, what's the train for? Dolores says the trains to get her daddy back. And at the end, she says in the morning at first light, we're getting on the train and we're going. So is the train just going to the Mesa? I don't know. Um, it's interesting, a kind of mirror here that Clementine sees her doppel host, right? Which was the girl that replaced her. And similarly, we're seeing everyone in Shogun world, Maeve, Hector, um, Armistice meet their doppelganger. Weird that it happened in both parks but for different reasons, but it's really the same thing. So that's interesting because Clementine sees the new Clementine. You know, it would be kind of like if Maeve made it out to the plains and then she sees that someone's just replaced her. Is that what we're going to see? Is this a little foreshadowing here? Um, interesting. Kind of puts them also on a parallel journey, which we see often in this show. Um, again, Sizemore's really helpful. I like how, I love the character. I love that dude. I think it's Gina doesn't like him. I love him. Um, I love how he tells Maeve to chill. 
And then he says, let the quest present itself, more video game stuff. And we find out that this quest is called Army of Blood. I love that. Um, Very samurai movie. We see that Sizemore steals a tripod. What's he going to do with it? Is Sizemore going to be the conduit for bringing perhaps Maeve in contact with Charlotte, the extraction team, Bernard? He's going to, to me, that when I saw him take that tripod, it said to me, ah, this is another, this is another video game like thing, right? He, that he has to use us check off tripod, right? He's got to use that. What's he got to use that to communicate with someone with who? Well, someone that we know, right? Someone different. So is he going to get these people together in some way? Very interesting. We now know that where Maeve and the others are headed is called Snow Lake as it is Sakura's cornerstone but we know that's where they're going. So I can only imagine that's going to look awesome. I'm very much looking forward to more Shogun world. Very cool scene here where Maeve and Hector are kind of chilling, waiting for it all to go down or wondering if it will playing out the narrative as Sizemore suggested. And Maeve begins to get, she's kind of meditating and you know, People who listen know I am a Zen Buddhist. I am a meditator. That is, is that kind of part of the reason why I love all this stuff? Maybe it is. Uh, but um, I just love that we see um, Musashi meditating there and we see a monk there. And I just like seeing that, you know, that's my thing. So I like, that's kind of, you know, representation for me that I get to see this on TV. So I thought that was kind of cool that they, I've written it so many times and actually Mike Hall did a great film where he has our friend Mac doing a little meditation and it's just something you don't see often. It's kind of, um, it's presented in weird ways. So it's cool to just see it in its natural habitat there. Um, but anyway, back to the story. So she kind of sees outside of herself. She taps into the quote unquote, right? The collective unconscious. Um, I'm not a believer in the supernatural. I am a believer in what Arthur C. Clarke has always, uh, his famous saying, which is that um, any advanced uh, technology will appear as magic to a um, like lesser civilization. I don't know if I said that right, but I always translate that to um, just, it's not it's not supernatural. It's just, we, it's just science. We don't understand that we haven't studied yet. Right. Um, that's the way I kind of see it. So I love that this whole thing with Maeve is presented like that. She's kind of chilling. She's going within herself, going back into the same idea that, um, we had talked about last week about the transference, the mind transference about how there is a heavy, to me, there is, I mean, as a Buddhist, I could call it Buddhist, but I don't want to say, you know, it's, it's represented in many different philosophies and religions, the idea of, um, of oneness, of just becoming still, of letting go of the ego, that type of thing. And um, I think that there's a really, Westworld is really pushing this. It's very evident in this show 
that they're basically saying that this is kind of how you progress, right? And I think that we're going to find that the way that the that the that what Dolores is doing with picking hosts, how we see Maeve kind of meditate into come into herself, let go, and then she can release her powers, you know. Um, I think that we're going to see uh, the same thing where James Delos was such an angry guy and he it just wouldn't take um, the whole idea of this being essential to accepting this new reality, whether it is you inside of a host or a host becoming more human or a host becoming something else like Maeve is becoming because it's very interesting all this time we've been waiting for Maeve to become a human. And now what we see is she's becoming something way more than human, right? She has the ability to push out from herself to control other hosts and the environment around her. Um, and as Ford had said in season one, you know, when he touched the, when he twickled his finger and the snake stopped or whatever, everything, you know, everything is created here. Every inch of sand, everything is created. In all, there are three phases to Babe's awakening with this power. The first time is this first time when she kind of sees outside of herself. She sees Akana and Sakura. She then kind of sees the ninjas and it's almost like she's watching something, right? And it's similar to the memories, how the memories of the hosts are real. She's watching this. This is real. Will she eventually be able to insert herself into these? I wonder. How deep is this rabbit hole going to get with Maeve? I love it. I absolutely love this. And I love this slow rollout. So she first sees kind of outside of herself, then the ninja's attack. Then she's being attacked by the ninja, and she's kind of being choked out. And then at some point, she it's almost as if somebody tweeted this <laughs> for a different reason, but it made me realize it was really at this part, it made me think of it in the matrix when he says, do you really think that's air you're breathing? Like Maeve has no need to breathe air. They've established that already, right? They do that anyway. They eat, they shit, they do all this kind of stuff, but they really don't have to. The only thing that'll shut down the host is draining them of enough blood, right? Or hitting them at the control unit. So she just kind of lets go of herself. And that's when, she forces him to kill himself. And then, of course, the end, when she and Akana are going to be have their heads chopped off, she uses that power to get all of the samurai to kill each other. So it's very interesting the way that this power is presented to us in these three stages. And Maeve accepts each stage, right? She has a little conversation with Sizemore about where he says, what you did there. And I like the way they addressed it. And that makes it real to her. And she just accepts it. She accepts reality as it is. She doesn't form any attachment to an idea of what she should be or what she's capable of being. 
uh, I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So let's see. Uh, there is, of course, more dreamlike whispering in those parts, too. So this is a new sound cue we're getting. So I, I want to listen for this much more. And I want to I wanna think, have we heard this before? Have we heard this sound cue? May have to go back and watch some of those Bernard scenes. Did we hear that sound cue? So Maeve leaves um, Hector and Musashi behind. Um, and we go over to Dolores. Dolores is kind of boring the shit out of me, I got to admit. Um, you know, she's becoming a villain. This whole story about burning all the cows to kill the flies. You know, Teddy says, give him shelter in the barn. Give him shelter. But, um, you know, Dolores is is just kind of she, – she, she, I'm getting through it. As I said, I'm getting through it. I was going to address it. I kind of already did. So I'm just going to keep on going. Um, what was the deal with the Shogun being defective with the cortical fluid leaking down his neck just like Bernard what's the significance of that um, Maeve was able to tell that he was malfunctioning but I think that was because of the fluid right um, now I wanted to just address this again because I think every once in a while I've got to kind of check in with this which is they've introduced new tech this season that we did not see last season right and it seems to be in, well, let's see. We've seen the control units. Have we seen it in Dolores' storyline or maybe it's, just, maybe it's just been Bernard's? But what I'm trying to get to is this. We have to accept in the idea of we're watching a TV show that they're going to come up with new ideas and, and we're going to get deeper. And we just say, oh, we didn't see it because, you know, they're telling this story to us in the way that they want to tell it. And I can accept that. But with a show like this, we also have to ask ourselves, when do we, when do we not accept it? When do, the, when do we say, maybe we should have been questioning this the whole time. Maybe we should have been questioning the whole time that these little red balls become humans or that maybe all this stuff that we want to be true. Is it true? Are those control units real? Because like I said, we didn't see that last season. So I'm not saying that I believe that, but I just, I think it's a question to ask ourselves as we watch Westworld, which is so has such a tight narrative as Sizemore would say. There's so many, so many clues and references and, uh, you know, deep philosophical and religious questions they seem to be talking about. And when do we say, what is the bullshit? And what is the purposeful bullshit? You know? So I don't know, but I just thought it was interesting. Why was he defective like Bernard? It was weird. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Um, I want to say that I thought the samurai having their ears surgically like <laughs> closed or cut off was a really cool touch that forces Maeve to use her abilities 
it's very video game, right? Like when you're playing a video game uh, and you enter a place and before you do, they take away your weapons, right? You reach a segment like that in a game and you have to figure out or in so many platformers, right? Where you have to figure out how to defeat a boss or an enemy or get past a certain point or gain a new power, right? I love that. I thought that was so, that was very well-written narrative. Um, all right, back to Angela. We find out that um, Angela has found out that Abernathy, Abernathy has been taken to the Mesa. And uh, like I said, Dolores says they're taking the train at first light. Uh, but first, Dolores and Teddy have their sexy time, which I talked about in the IR. I thought it was shot very well. Um, this part where Maeve starts to reprogram Akana by speaking to her with both her mind and her voice. So maybe this is actually the the fourth in all, but I guess in order, the second or third time, the third time that she uses this power, um, where she is going to awaken her. But then she kind of stops her. She stops herself when she kind of sees the her Akana being kind of taken over and like awakening. This is this is like groundbreaking. So this means that Maeve can awaken other hosts. Do they have to already be at a certain point? Um, very interesting. And let's not forget the original that it was Dolores who originally said to Maeve, "These violent delights have violent ends," out in the street there. So let's not forget that's going to come to, that's going to, it's going to mean something later. Um, but anyway, Maeve has the power to awaken host. That's, that's crazy. But then she has this question, right? Is it worth it being free? Because you lose something, right? You lose the ability to have ignorance or you lose the fairy tales. You have to accept the truth. Maeve seems so ready to accept the truth, but will she be able to? Will she be able to accept when her daughter doesn't recognize her because she's a robot? Because it's not her daughter? What is she really even doing, right? What is this journey they're on? A lot of questions to ask here at Westworld, people. Now we get to Teddy. Oh, poor Teddy. Teddy's been overwritten. The tech says to Dolores, changes this extreme without a full reset. I can't guarantee he'll hold together. Now, I saw some screenshots out there on the internets, and I saw two of them. Uh, One of them showed, it said, um, overwrite character. Uh, And another one I saw showed that, just like on Maeve, that little kind of um, oops, touch the mic. Sorry about that. That little, um, dial, right. That go, you know, and it looked like all of Teddy's bad qualities were turned way up his anger, his loyalty, his, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And his nice qualities were turned way down. So who's Teddy going to be? Because we see a de- we see a, We see Teddy, or another version of Teddy, in the pile at at the Mesa that the extraction uh, people are bringing in, if that's really true. 
It could be, of course, that, that there is one reality of that, but Bernard is being played through other alternate realities of it, so we can believe all of that stuff, but alternates may be different. Um, but back to Teddy. We see that Teddy's dead. We saw him floating around. But Dolores doesn't kill him here. He's being overwritten. He's being changed. Why? Is this, do we not yet understand what's going on? Because I don't. Of course we don't. It's Westworld. All right. On to the discussion. I just had two points. I was actually only had one discussion point this week for DJ, which is there was a part where Carl, in the beginning, when he first, we get that, I love that, that that Nolan sound, that sweep-in sound, and then the the uh, extraction guy comes in going down the other way of the sound in your mind. It's great. But anyway, we see Carl and he looks down and he sees this guy with a weird big ass knife and he's got like a vest on and he's got those kind of colored glasses on. And I guess we saw some extraction people with those glasses, not extraction, but Delos people with those glasses. But then I was like, why is Carl looking down at him? Why are they showing this to us? What is this? I don't really have an idea, except maybe was that guy from another park? Is there like a adventure safari park? Um, not like the Raj, but like where you kind of like go commando or something. I don't know. Or we did have that idea that there was a like a commando park that Carl is a host from another park. And the park he's from is like from the kind of, I guess... Not military, but like James Bond or International Assassin. Uh Uh-huh. Right? As our director did direct Park. That'd be kind of interesting. So we'll have to... It could be nothing, that whole thing with Carl and the guy. We'll have to see what happens with that. But I'm still maybe holding on to the idea that Carl is a host. Um. All right, got a little bit of a theory throwdown, just three quick things, and then we're going to get into some awesome feedback. So the first one is, I think that we got all this talk about Delos being an overseer, watching everyone, and MIB's whole thing about God, and God watches you, and Westworld is a place where nobody's watching you, and God's not here, and because of that, you know the bad come comes out or whatever. And there's who's making the judgment, you know, there's this, they're running through this whole thematic elements of the idea of God being an overseer, right? Someone who watches, take notes and then judges and Delos was not judging. Well, it seems to me like we've got a new overseer here and it's Maeve. Because if Maeve has the ability to see through any host, to tap into anything in the park, then she is that god, right? She's taken over. She could take over from Delos. So I just think that that was there for a reason. And that may have been a little bit of foreshadowing Maeve having this ability and being able to see and do everything inside the park, perhaps outside. I wanted to bring up a a little theory here about what I think might be happening with Dolores and Teddy. And it's in reference to the really, I don't want to call it great scene, but interesting scene with uh, Dolores and Teddy, where she tells a story 
of her papa killing all the cows with the blue tongue um, and uh, burning them uh, to get the disease away, even though he had discovered that the flies uh, were the ones that were passing it back and forth. This, in an analogy to me, is the flies perhaps are the humans, the cows are the hosts. And this is this decision she must make that who is worthy of um, going to the promised land, right? Tran- transferring to hybrid is what I think is going to happen. Uh, transferring to a hybrid and getting out of the park or transferring out of the park in some other way. Teddy, on the other hand, says that why wouldn't you give the cows, the, the healthy cows shelter, get them out of the way from the flies, separate them from the sick ones. Perhaps some of the sick will get better. Um, I mean, it doesn't go too far into it, but he's going for obviously a more humanistic approach here where he says you don't have to kill them all, right? You can try to help who you can and you can also separate them and give them shelter, help them. Now, made me think. I think that at some point, and maybe what we saw, why Dolores doesn't kill Teddy, is because maybe what she's doing is she's radically changing him so he is ready in the only way she knows how. Maeve makes a decision not to awaken Akana, to let her do it herself. But Dolores seems to think that for some reason, Teddy is not getting there. Whether it's being awake, conscious, or understanding the world or their situation in the way that she believes he must in order to go to this promised land. So she's radically changing him, forcing it upon him. She's not trying to kill him. She's trying to help him. And perhaps when she, when he said the word shelter them, it just made me think of those hosts in the Dead Sea. And now that we know that so many of them are blank, how could she shelter them? What's the barn? Is that what the, this place where they're going the promised land, which I and the DJ man and others too, including Hacks Dogma, thinks is like the main lab of where they were doing the secret project. And perhaps it's where Dolores would have the capabilities to create as many hosts, as many copies, where she would basically have the full abilities of the full abilities of Westworld and Delos at her fingertips. Right? Maybe she wouldn't even need to have the tech. She could do it all there. Uh, a tech, I mean, like a human helper. Um, I don't know. But I'm thinking maybe Dolores is good. She's, I, I do, they seem to be dialing her up as the villain. Now, another idea I had is if I'm wrong about that one because I like to throw out conflicting ideas. This is all about thinking it through. Did she make him Wyatt? Is she thinking that's what made her good? 
are good or not good, but uh, worthy. That she needs that, that pain, right? That story. I mean, he already was a part of the Wyatt story, but he rejected that Teddy, right? That it wasn't like Dolores where inhabits both. He rejected that Teddy. Did she put that Teddy back in him? How he was before? Um, I don't know. Interesting thoughts. Send us an email. WestworldDVR at gmail.com. And speaking of email, we have some feedback. I do want to say that uh, WestworldDVR at gmail.com. Um, Bill Kava, our man in New Jersey, had sent us an email that somehow went to my spam. That was about episode two or three. I was going to read it, but then I found that most of it had already kind of been covered. It wouldn't really have much resonance. So I'll just give him a shout out. So there you go, Bill. Thank you, buddy. Um, I forgot Andy's email last week, so I'm putting him first. Poor, poor, naive Teddy, says Andy. All of the Dolores Teddy scenes gave me a very of mice and men feeling. Ah, interesting. I like that. I have a lot of questions about Maeve's new voice. She says she doesn't know what's happening. She just says she doesn't know why it is happening. It seems like the show is trying to say she is the one like Neo in the Matrix. I don't think this is the case. There's a scene where Maeve and Sizemore are watching Hector imitate his doppelbot. Sizemore clearly states that seeing your own doppelbot could cause a lot of unknown things to happen. That is true, and that was... Ah, I forgot that. Oh, I didn't forget it. Because Andy remembered. That was a very interesting thing you point out, Andy. I'm pretty sure that Maeve doesn't have her telekinesis powers until after she sees and interacts with her own doppelbot. I think this is why she has her own direct line to the other hosts now. It is one of the unknown consequences of interacting with her mirror. Maybe interacting with your doppelbot is what causes the host to evolve and gain true wokeness. Now, that would make them question their reality, wouldn't it? We know that at their base, right? One of the, one of the main things I think we should always remember when watching this show talking about the hosts and AI and consciousness is that Arnold Bernard, it was Arnold clearly says that they were passing the Turing test very soon and that they kept, they always had the problem of the host becoming conscious. They had been putting them down for years and winding them back. So, that's a very interesting idea, Andy, that um, it could be something like seeing the doppelbot could make them start getting woke. They have basically my point was they they are inclined to see consciousness, it seems. But I really like that. Andy continues. um, Sizemore also states that one of the side effects of seeing your own doppelbach could be feedback loops. Pretty sure that's what Bernard was seeing on the beach. Has he seen his own doppelbot? I'm guessing the answer is yes. God damn. Good job, Andy. 
This is more a big picture idea, not necessarily related to this episode. I believe for a long time that Ford's new narrative is still playing out, definitely. However, I've had a very hard time reconciling how this could be possible. There are so many variables with all the parks in play, the humans, strike teams, etc. involved. Agreed. It's becoming very hard for me to believe that Ford could have foreseen all of this happening. I'm also a big idea of the f- idea that Ford put himself in the mainframe or a host before he died. I'm starting to think that Ford might be manipulating changing the narrative on the fly from either the mainframe itself or from whichever host he is now inhabiting. Gotta always bring that up, and I like it. Uh, we, Yeah, Ford, you're right. When you start thinking how much of it he could have foreseen in all these different parks, um, the extraction team, all that kind of stuff, it does become mind-boggling. But that's why last episode I had a theory that maybe it was Maeve now, that someone else had taken over the narrative, that maybe she's even subconsciously guiding it. Again, we don't know the time here, right? We don't know... We don't know that as soon as Maeve picks up that katana and starts fighting, it is like Neo and she sees the whole world and bam, it's all at her fingertips and she's immediately manipulating what Dolores, MIB, anybody in the park is doing. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> but yeah, Ford could be in the mainframe. Ford could be in the cradle, Right. They said it destroyed uh, the host backstories, and he said it was a third of their IP. But what's the other two-thirds? Is that what it is, two-thirds? I like that, Andy. Yeah, always got to keep on thinking about Ford still being around, and I'm still hoping would be great to get a scene with Anthony Hopkins this season, right, that that's what the red ball is, it's him. I think a lot of people would say that, but we'll see. All right. Thank you very much, Andy. Now on to a very special person, newbie doos, newbie doos, noob, newbie doos, newbie doos, noob, 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 doos, got a doobie, got a newbie. Newbie and the doobie and the newbie and the doobie and the newbie doos, doos, newbie doos, newbie doos. All right. That was my own little newbie doos song. Um, question theory on Westworld. This is a, this is a, this is an interesting one here. So let's get into this. All right, people, I'm going to take it on. So I've been more invested, this is Newbie Doo speaking, so I've been more invested in this Dolores Teddy story, mainly because Shogun World felt cool, arty, and beautiful, but not as engaging. Okay, I can see that. I can see that, Newbie. So I decided to look up the name meanings of Teddy, Dolores, and Wyatt, Dolores' alter ego. Now, maybe this has been done a million times before already, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on my theory. So she copy and pasted some names here. So I'm going to try to speak it out. And I, I don't know. This may be all over Reddit, but we're going to go down this rabbit hole. Dolores is short for Virgin Mary of Sorrows. Wyatt is Old English based on Wido, wood or wide, or an alteration of the name Wigherd. Wigherd from Wig, war, plus head, hardy, brave, and strong. Teddy, Theodore, equals God-given or gift of God. The theory. Both Dolores and Teddy's names have to do with religion and faith. 
My association is that Dolores has turned more to her Wyatt side now. She has turned her heart hard as wood and is only out for war, just as the Wyatt name meaning suggests. Her original name, Dolores, must mean that the creator knew she would go through much sorrow, like the name Virgin Mary of Sorrows. That was her loop. But what I think Dolores needs in order for her to truly break free from both Wyatt and Dolores and create her own person is Teddy. He is the catalyst. He's a gift from God, meaning something she truly needs on her dark path. Just imagine how we use the expression gift from God. We usually use it when we happen upon a miracle in our lives, something that was absolutely crucial for our survival or success. Like, wow, that lottery winning ticket was a gift from God. So bottom line, Dolores needs Teddy, and he might also be what turns out to save her from her own destruction. He is her salvation. I like this. Newbie dues. And I had read this, of course, and I was kind of, it was thinking about it a little bit when I was talking about them uh, before. And I was right on this before I read this. And I'm with you. Uh, I didn't know all this other stuff, which you back up with things called facts. I like that. Names and all that research you've done. But um, yeah, it does seem that way, right? Like she teaches him that idea of the shelter. Like, maybe that's why she originally was going to kill him. Like, take him in the back, right? Like she said to him. She didn't say to him, take him over there so I can have the tech reprogram him. She said, take him in the back and shoot him, Teddy. And he didn't do it. So she didn't do that to Teddy. So that's very interesting. Um, I like it. And Teddy as kind of the symbol... Uh, Let's see, she added in here, Dolores as a symbol for humans and Teddy as a symbol for Jesus. Well, they're because as Jesus was the gift from God to humans, right? Uh, As many believe. Um, Yeah, definitely. I mean, this show is ripe with religious stuff and a lot of definitely Christian stuff, as was the Wild West. And uh, I like this idea. I like it a lot. I mean, Teddy is obviously that Christ-like figure, right? Who gave himself again and again for her, right? Um, I like this breakdown. Very good. I think you should put this on Reddit. And if you do, I'll even tweet it out, newbie-doos. But I don't know if I'll visit Reddit to read it. Okay, I will, just for you. On to Gina. Gina says, Thank you, newbie. Gina says, I kind of feel like the backstories we've been getting this season are far more interesting than what's actually happening post Ford offing himself. (laughs) I mean, it's still entertaining, but understanding the past and how it's got us to where we are is just better. Maybe that somehow ties into the girl telling MIB that if he's looking forward, he's looking in the wrong direction. Deep. I like it. Maeve finds her new voice. Technologically speaking, is this a hack, machine learning, and AI, or both? I think it's both, says Gina. She's both hacked the network for more data and information. And however her algorithms or whatever are set up, she's incorporating all of that in. But she's like doing it subconsciously, right? Like that's the thing is, you know, 
you're right in a sense that there's like two parts of her, right? Her consciousness and then that AI part of her. And it's like in many stories where AI can be in multiple places simultaneously. And I think, I guess maybe that's maybe what you're saying, you know, um, she is hacking the existing network too, though. I agree with you there. I think she's almost like using that bicameral mind system that's inside of her to like broadcast out herself. She becomes a broadcast, like a no, she becomes a hotspot. Um, back to Gina. Now Maeve can see what's happening elsewhere. Ninja's approaching while it's happening. I don't even know if Ford could do that. And she can influence hosts beyond voice command. She's making stuff up on the fly since she's in a world where she has no narrative. Maeve also knows when a host is broken. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was thinking about before when I said about the Shogun. I don't know if she saw the fluid or maybe you're right. She did know that it was broken. And she also knew that they weren't... You, you know what? She also knew before they showed the ears that they weren't listening to her. Good point. Good point, Gina. On the downside, they keep calling her a witch, and we all know what traditionally happens to witches. They burn. Well, guess what? Maeve is already burned, right, Gina? She already, Remember her and Hector. Thoughts on Doppelbots. The Madam of Mariposa East even delivers some of her lines with the same head tilts expressions as Maeve from when we first saw this scene in Westworld. It's true. Akane. And then, of course, treats her ward like her daughter. That is very interesting. It made me think, does this mean that this character, their inevitable, their loop would inevitably be that they find a daughter? Like whatever reason a Sizemore or whoever wrote Maeve, it's like in her and then copied to this other Maeve, Akana. Does that, is it, is a byproduct of that story, the longing for a daughter? In Maeve, it comes from remembering a past experience and having been, having been lived, having been put as a host into that story. For Akana, it's part of her story, but then it further blossoms again when she, as she awakens. So that's an interesting idea, right? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Gina continues, at least he got laid first. Oh, Teddy, you're almost woke or doing a good job of going along with it anyway. True. Daddy burned this. Daddy burned the weak and the infected. The herd lived. I will do the same to you, but, <laughs> but give you a pity fuck first. It does seem like that's what it was. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's almost like Dolores changed her mind, maybe. Maybe that. Maybe being with Teddy did change her mind, and that's why she decided not to kill him. Um, Virgin host. Now, this is where I have to disagree with you, Gina. You said, so who wiped the host? Ford, Dolores, Bernarnold? It seemed like Dolores did since they were altering Teddy at the end. Okay. Oh, well, I'm not going to be so specific as wiped because there's a difference. Like, they do go out of their way towards saying that they're not wiped they're virgin. There's no been no data on it, but I understand what you're saying. And I 
you know, I shouldn't have to be so specific, but that is kind of why we do the podcast to talk about that junk. But um, interesting, Ford, Dolores, Barnard. Yeah, I think it, it, it points towards Dolores, but with Maeve's new powers, you think, Gina, it might be Maeve that's doing all this. Hmm. Uh, things that make you go, hmm, as I just did. And Gina ends with, you all have those kind of skills buried somewhere in your code. Brit tweet. Brit tweet. That's a new Twitter. Brit tweet. Brit twit Sizemore's response to Maeve knowing Japanese. Yeah, that is very interesting. I talked a little bit about that before. Um, what else is buried deep in their code, right? Other park information. James Delos. Ford. The bicameral mind. Arnold. Lot, lot buried in there, right? All right. Hey, we have a new feedback person. Echoes of 11. Thanks for the email. And thank you, Gina. You rock. And yes, we should do a Handmaid's Tale podcast soon. Pretty busy with the Westworld and I'm going to be doing uh, Winterfell. So it may have to wait till the end of the, of the seasons. Um, Echoes of 11 says... MIB daughter Emily slash Grace is not a host. She was just raised by hosts, which explains why she doesn't like people. Just like wealthy kids are often raised by nannies. That is really interesting. How far did when he, because they did make a point echoes. I like this thinking. Because they did make a point in the uh, in his confirmation party, in his victory party, or James Delos retirement party. He says, "Oh, I will. I'll, I'll return her." You know, they're not allowed off the uh, out of the area. You know, when Delos kind of catches him with a host. Well, if he's now in charge, then he can do whatever he wants. So, interesting idea. Did she like grow up? with like a host nanny or something like why does she like the robot so much you know but i like that idea she's not a host she's raised by host very interesting very interesting thanks for the feedback give us more echoes of 11 love it all right that's it we reached the end of the podcast i did it all by myself all by myself um I was actually thinking of that uh, De La Soul song. It's just me, myself, and I. Oh, I can't hit that note. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Um, plug one and two. Anyway, we've reached the end of the podcast. Had to do a little singing. I'm getting a little loopy. But uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, please remember that the Westworld Dearycast is part of the DVR Podcast Network. Check us out at DVRpodcast.com. Our logo's by Tom. Check him out at tompatrick.co.uk. And our theme music is by the Wright Brothers. We would appreciate an Apple podcast or other review. Give us a review. <clears throat> also, email us, westworlddvr at gmail.com. And you could be a part of the feedback next week. Also, become a patron patreon.com slash dvr that's all the info i got for you 
And that's all I've got for you this week. Westworld will be back this Sunday. They are not taking off, uh, what is it, Memorial Day or something, the beginning of summer, right? They're not taking off for that. So I suppose we will be back with an initial reaction. Maybe DJ Tim Hines, maybe myself. Who knows? Maybe a guest might appear. You never know here at the Westworld Theorycast. Once again, I want to thank everyone who sent in an email. Everyone who listens and downloads and shares. Really do appreciate it. You know, um, almost every email I get, I have to cut out a little part where people do their thanks and everything. And I always really appreciate it. I try to hit everybody back. And, you know, this has been a lot of fun. We're halfway through the season been a lot of fun um, we weren't able to get kim renfro on this week but maybe in the future sometimes she might come on maybe we'll have a guest before the end of the season but uh there's so many other great podcasts out there and and videos and stuff and check them out and have fun with that and until next time say howdy to your moms for me Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.